Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right. Well, uh, we are hitting a crossroads in the book of Acts. Uh, Chapters 1 through 12 have been mostly about the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Kind of going back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, we had a kind of a simple outline of the book of Acts. It says, this is uh, Jesus speaking just before his ascension. Uh, He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we begin the end of the earth section uh, here in Acts 13, Yeah, the end of the book. That's right. They're going to be going far and wide. They're going to go to places that we haven't even known or, or read about yet. There's going to be some names of some cities that we think we're pronouncing correctly, but aren't 100% sure. We mispronounce them differently. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so they're going to be going to some really cool places. And um, we would encourage you, as, as you read along and as you study along, um, not only in previous podcasts, but going forward, if you have some maps, like in the back of your Bible, it might be good for you to look at those as you go through the text um, and just familiarize yourself with these different um, cities that the apostles and early disciples are going into to preach and teach in. Yes, uh, we're not doing a video podcast at this point, but uh, this is where that would be useful because some of these sections make a lot more sense with a map in front of you. Um, but the text is uh, what is most helpful to us. And so let's pick up reading in Acts 13. Uh, we have had kind of a, chapter 12 was kind of a break in the action. We had the church in Antioch. Now we're going to have to make a distinction in this chapter. There's two Antiochs, just like there's lots of double names in the Bible. You've got a lot of Simons and a lot of Judases. A couple of uh, different Antiochs as well. So there's the Antioch, we call this Antioch in Syria, uh, which is the one like just kind of to the north of uh, Galilee. And uh, that is the Antioch where there's been this Jew-Gentile church that started up, and this is going to become kind of the home base for Paul's journeys. And Paul and Barnabas were sent down to Jerusalem, carrying the gift for the the needy Christians there um, at the end of chapter 11. And then at the end of chapter 12, they've returned to Antioch, and they brought uh, John Mark with them back from Jerusalem. He'll become significant in just a minute. But now we've kind of come back to, as Luke is recording this for us, we've come back to the first Antioch, Antioch in Syria, and that's where we pick up reading. Uh, We're going to read Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So this is a church we've become pretty familiar with. Um, As Stephen said, we saw them back in chapter 11 as just a really encouraging group of people. Uh, A Jewish and Gentile church, which that's something chapter 11 Um, verse 20 highlighted for us that there were some of them, the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And here in chapter 13, verse 1, 
after it's mentioned some of the prophets and teachers like Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, there's Lucius of Cyrene who's there. And so it's really cool to kind of see that connection back to chapter 11 and verse 20 of these men of Cyrene and Cyprus who were teaching the Gentiles. Perhaps Lucius was one of them. Um, and then there's also Manian, who we're told was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, which is really interesting piece of information, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the Herod family we've already seen back in Mark was not your best uh, family. But it's just interesting to see as people are converted in the book of Acts, some of the connections to high up positions that people have. Well, we'll find out in the book of Philippians that there's people in Caesar's household who are converted to the gospel. And here we have a you know someone who's brought up with Herod who's converted. And so the gospel touches people from every background, from every part of society. This is a, a movement that is bringing in all types of people uh, from all ethnic backgrounds, social backgrounds. I just love to see the diversity uh, in the church here at Antioch. And um, they're, they're kind of a stacked church. Like they have a lot of uh, prophets and teachers and so there's five mentioned here, and Barnabas is mentioned first, Saul is mentioned last, and the Holy Spirit is going to call Barnabas and Saul for this particular work. And again, remember, it's Barnabas who went and got Saul back in Acts 9, or Acts 11, rather, and got um, got him plugged in with the work here in Antioch, and now they're going to get sent out together. Um, and I think we're going to see Paul... And well, he's going to be Paul in a minute. Uh, Saul and Barnabas becoming a really effective team because they have some different strengths. I mean, Barnabas, of course, is his nickname, son of encouragement. He is just a very uh, encouraging guy. Uh, Saul, of course, the former persecutor of the church, is just a very driven guy. Uh, Whatever he thinks is right, he is going to do it, you know, 110%. And together, they're going to make a really effective team in these coming chapters on this first trip that the Spirit is sending them on. And again, I do think it's interesting here that this is not like Barnabas and Saul got a cool idea to do this. This was God's plan. Um, It's the Spirit who speaks to them while they're worshiping and fasting and says, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So this this is God's trip that he's sending them on. Now, they're gonna, there's going to be some human judgment involved at different points, but uh, the whole project, the whole mission is this is what God wants them to be doing by His Spirit. And the church clearly has a hand in this as well. Um, they're, they're already busy in Antioch, but we see in verse 3 that they fast and pray, lay their hands on them, and send them away. The church very much so has an active role in sending Saul and Barnabas out for the work that the Holy Spirit has called them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there there's might even be some financial implications there of maybe helping them out in that way. We'll see what they do when they circle back around to Antioch in a little bit. But this church loved Barnabas and Saul. They were there to support them, whether they were preaching in Antioch or whether they were preaching in the remotest parts of the earth. They were there to support Barnabas and Saul. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really encouraging thing to see. It wasn't a, oh man, you know, Barnabas and Saul are leaving us. It was, oh, they're leaving us to go do the work of the evangelists. Uh, they're, they're out there preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ, and we want to support them in that. So we're going to fast. We're going to pray. 
We're going to lay our hands on them and send them off to do the good work. Mm -hmm. And as a side note, this laying on of hands, we've seen that from the apostles back in like chapter 8 as like a miraculous connection thing. This seems to be just kind of a, a sign of solidarity, a sign of a blessing. Hey, like we're with you in this. Like we're blessing you. We approve of what you're doing. That uh, this doesn't seem to be like a passing on of spiritual gifts, laying on of hands. So that's a there's different types of that in the New Testament. Yeah, that's helpful to to point out. Also, just say uh, it, I think it's kind of interesting as we get launched here uh, to note that when they finish this trip in Acts fourteen. And verse 26, it's going to say they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Uh, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Um, this is going to be a successful trip, uh, even though it's going to be a, a bit of a rocky one. Yeah, a bumpy road ahead of them. Yep. All right, well, that gets us into the, the trip itself. So let's uh, read about stop number one. Yeah, we're going to read verses 4 through 12 next, and I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible. It says in verse 4, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemus, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him, and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed. And when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So uh, stop number one is going to be the island of Cyprus. And again, it notes here, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Um, they went down to Seleucia, which is like a port city. And then they go out um, to Cyprus. It is kind of interesting that, um, uh, again, this seems to be spirit-guided in this particular instance. But... Uh, Joseph, called Barnabas, uh, is from Cyprus. We found that out about him back in chapter 4 when we were introduced to him. And so uh, there may have been some particular family connections that he had here. Um, so they, they preached the word all through the island. Um, and uh, John, Mark, has gone out with them. It says in verse uh, 5, and again, there's a whole lot of work. Again, we're just reminded over and over again as we read this that we're reading a highlight reel. Uh, what we're seeing is not a comprehensive chronicle of every city they stopped and every sermon they preached. But it just says they've gone through the whole island as far as Paphos. And the one story that we get from Cyprus is this kind of interesting encounter with a magician who has a couple of different names. Um, he's a false prophet. His name is Bar-Jesus, which would mean son of Jesus. So 
his father's name was Jesus. Again, it's just the name Joshua from the Old Testament. So there were a lot of people named Jesus in those days. Um, he's also called Elamus a little farther down. Um, and his name means magician. So I don't know if one of those was a nickname or not. But um, Paul and Barnabas have the opportunity to speak with a Roman official. This is a good opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is exciting for them. Yeah, he's a man of intelligence. Uh, he's a proconsul named Sergius Paulus. And um, he wants to hear the word of God. And so God has told them, like, you're going to speak the word before all different kinds of people. And here they are speaking the word before uh, those who were high up on the island. And uh, this is just interesting to me. Verse 9 is just kind of without much fanfare, Luke tells us that Saul changed his name. Ah, Saul, who is also called Paul, by the way. And not going to call him Saul again. Like, that. that's it. It's just a, a switch. I, I don't fully know why Luke, as an author, uh, chose to um, give us Saul's name um, as Saul, you know, from his conversion up to this point. And now he's going to be called Paul through the rest of the New Testament. All of his letters, he will call himself Paul. Um, so this is just kind of interesting. Um, it may be that as he is now being sent out and is kind of taking on this role of the apostle to the Gentiles, that that is why uh, his name has changed at this point. Again, it's like mid-story that Luke tells us his name. Oh, yeah, by the way, his name is Paul. Um, I don't know why it doesn't change like when he gets sent out from Antioch. Sure. But this is the first time that he's called Paul and the last time he's called Saul. And it, is it possible that because of the major transformation he went through, he wanted to obtain a new name. He wanted to, to rebrand himself almost um, because of the previous persecutions he was doing as a Jew. Um, that's, I think, also one of the possibilities. Yeah. It's just funny that like he's been working for years um, since his conversion. And at least the way Luke records it, this is the first time that he sure. uses a different name. So that that's just it's fascinating. Yeah. So... Saul, who's also called Paul, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And um, this guy, Elamis, he's trying to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So he's just sitting there, you know, saying what he can to discount anything Paul is, is throwing at these people. And Paul gets really serious with him about this in verse 10 and 11. Uh, you know, he calls him. It's not pull any punches. <laughs> no, uh, you who are full of deceit and fraud. He calls him the son of the, of the devil, enemy of all righteousness. This is interesting. He says, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? He, he's getting in the way of God, is what Paul is saying here. And you need to step out of the way. Um, well, if you want to mess with God, God's going to mess with you, right? Verse 11, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And sure enough, he's blinded. Uh, Saul blinds him, and he's got to go, Elamis does, has to go around and find people to help lead him by the hand. But the result of this is really the key of the text in verse 12. Mm -hmm. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. We've talked about this all through the Gospel of Mark and a few times in the book of Acts, that the message is confirmed by the miracle uh, or by the, the miraculous thing that's happened. Uh, and that's certainly the case here, and it's certainly the case in other places. Um, and Paul and ultimately God is able to use what looks like an unfortunate thing for his purpose and for his glory. 
uh, here Elamis is trying to turn the proconsul away, but God intervenes and uses that uh, in, an, in, a, in a way that someone would end up believing in him. Um, that's just such a cool thing to see in this story. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting, some of the reversals here. I mean, Elamis is trying to uh, get the proconsul to not believe, but because of his uh, obstinance, he's struck blind, and that causes the uh, proconsul to believe. So he becomes the uh, the source of uh, the proconsul's faith, in the sense, uh, or at least to the, the tribulation that befalls him. It's also interesting to me that uh, Saul... Now, Paul himself had been struck blind. Right. Um, and so he's on the other side of that now. Uh, I think that's very interesting. Of course, we don't know what happens to Elamis. I don't know if he was converted like uh, Paul was. But he is now on the other side of the blindness. Paul can actually see. And um, this false prophet is struck blind. So the next section is going to be a little bit of a longer section. We're going to read verses 13 through 41 in just a second. Uh, but it needs to be taken in one chunk. So uh, if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to follow along with this text. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to see here, um, they're going to sail away from Cyprus. Uh, this is kind of the, that's the one story we have from the island of Cyprus. <laughs> and um, they're going to sail down to the mainland and get to the other Antioch. Um, we call this Antioch um, in Pisidia, which is kind of the region it was in. And... Um, What's interesting about this sermon is that this is uh, we just don't have all of the sermons that Paul preached in all these different synagogues. Like his main thing as he goes out on these journeys is going to be he's going to go to synagogues. And instead of Luke recording every single sermon, um, I think what we have here is this is going to become kind of the typical synagogue sermon. Um, this is going to be a sample of hey, here's what Paul said, like at the first like big synagogue sermon that he does. And we can know as we read further into the book of Acts, oh, he went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews there. Oh, that must have been like the sermon he did back in Antioch in, uh, in Pisidia, the, the, kind of that first big sermon. And so uh, this is a really important sermon because it, it's kind of like a gospel meeting sermon or whatever. <laughs> like it, it, someone travels around and preaches um, this is going to be kind of the, the prototype sermon sure. for like all these other places. And it's a targeted audience. Uh, it's, a, it's specifically tailored toward the people he's speaking to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see him do that with Gentiles as well and uh, in some later podcasts, later episodes. Yeah, exactly. So let's, uh, let's read together Acts 13. Uh, we're picking up reading in verse 13, and we're going to read all the way down through verse 41. So stick with us here. I'll try to do my best to do this like a, like a sermon, <laughs> but uh, we'll come back and comment on it in a minute. Uh, this is Acts 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up, and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years, 
And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. All right, so Paul and his companions, as it says, they get down to Pamphylia, um, and it says that John leaves them and returns to Jerusalem. That would be John Mark. Uh, We'll talk about that in a later podcast, but he's not with them anymore. Well, After going on from Perga, they get to Pisidia uh, and Antioch. Um, Again, like we said, a different Antioch from the one we were talking about earlier. But it's the Sabbath day, and they go down to the synagogue, and they sit down in the church or in the synagogue service. And, of course, they're not there to overtake anything, right? Like, they're, they're very respectful of what's going on. But they sit down, and at a certain point, after the reading of the Law and the Prophets, the synagogue officials stand up and say, anyone have anything they want to say? Anything they want to add to what's going on? And Paul stands up and he kind of motions with his hand, right? We'll, we'll actually see that a few more times in Acts, won't we? Mm-hmm. This idea of Paul motioning with his hand. Um, but Paul seizes the opportunity. This is a big picture thing we've picked up on in previous chapters, whether it be Peter or John or really any of the apostles. If there's an opportunity to speak about Jesus, 
they take the opportunity to speak about Jesus. Like they, they chomp at the bit for opportunities like this. And so Paul stands up and delivers this sermon um, that I guess we can dissect and get into now. Yeah. It, he's going to address, uh, he's going to say this twice, uh, once in verse 16 and again in verse 26. He, he's kind of addressing two separate but related audiences. He's addressing the Jews, so he's going to call them men of Israel or brothers, sons of the family of Abraham. And then he's going to address a second group that's like you who fear God right. uh, or um, those among you who fear God. He said the same thing about Cornelius, didn't it? Mm-hmm. He feared God. Um, I think that's right. Yeah. And this is kind of a, a separate group of, a, apparently there would have been a group there potentially of, of Gentile believers who had not yet converted to Judaism but were listening about the God of Israel and hearing the law and the prophets read and had not made a a full change yet, but who were listening. And of course, as we've talked about already, these are the people who are not forced to become Jews to become Christians. Um, So some of them are listening as well. And so they would have been familiar with uh, the law and the prophets that they're hearing read in the synagogues. And so the first part, um, really... Paul starts with common ground. He's a Jew. And so in verses 17 down through verse 25, he just gives a history of the Jewish people. And it's kind of like, hey, y'all know who we are as a Jewish people. Um, God brought the people out of Egypt. Uh, He gave them the land of Canaan. He gave them judges and then kings. And he focuses in on David and and really focuses on that because he's going to say in verse 23 of this man, that is David, of his, this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. So he's trying to, he's talking to Jews. They would have known the promises to David, Second Samuel chapter 7. This is the fulfillment of those promises. He, he's trying to connect what the Jews were waiting for with Jesus and say, he's the one you've been, that God promised. And he finishes up with John the Baptist and says, you remember John, you probably heard about him. He was a big deal. And he... He was pointing to Jesus as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so some of them might have even heard of who John the Baptist was. Uh, his message, we learned, gets out far and wide, uh, John the Baptist did. And so it kind of retells like what we read about in Mark chapter 1, what John had said about not being worthy to stoop down and untie the sandals of Jesus. Um, so in verse 26, uh, he, he goes into um, the talking about uh, the, the message of salvation being sent to us. And it's for those who live in Jerusalem, it's for everybody. Um, But they specifically, he brings up Jesus here. uh, And specifically what the Jewish people did to Jesus uh, in in the days of Jesus. Uh, They condemned him and they found no ground on which to put him to death. Yet, they still had Jesus executed and and put to death. As we read about at the end of our Mark podcast. Um, but man, uh, this would be a, a hard thing to bring up, uh, I'm sure. And this would be something a lot of these people would have known about or at least heard about. But in particular, what Paul is going to spend some time on is not only the fact that Jesus died and was buried, but in verse 30, the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. That is going to be a huge focus of Paul's lesson here. Much like it was back in Acts chapter 2. That was a huge part of, of Peter's sermon there. Um, and the resurrection of Jesus will be brought up over and over again in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're witnesses. Um, he uh, appeared 
to those. It's not just that he rose from the dead and disappeared, but he, people saw a dead man alive again after his public execution. And they're the ones spreading the, the news. These now, these are witnesses. And so, verse 32, he brings this home. He says, this is the good news that God promised to the fathers. Again, he's talking to Jewish audience. All these promises they were familiar with, but now he's like, they're like, oh, like all this is about Jesus. So he's going to quote from three different passages here. He's going to quote from Psalm 2, Isaiah 55, and Psalm 16. And again, these are familiar passages to his audience that they would have grown up hearing and singing these things. And he's going to say, this is about Jesus. Psalm 2 was about the son of David, uh, about the, the Messiah, the anointed one. And he says, he became God's son when he raised him from the dead, basically. He raised Jesus as it's written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I've begotten you. That that is what proves that Jesus is the son of God. Romans 1 will say he was declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And also with the Psalm 16 quote about not allowing your Holy One to undergo decay or to see corruption. That's the idea of the body, like corrupting or like de decaying is the idea there. Um, Paul will bring up the same point Peter brings up in verse 36 and 37. David served his purpose. I kind of love the language there. You know, he served his purpose. He died and he's still buried. You know, he's still with us to this day. His his body did did undergo decay, but that cannot be said of Jesus. Um, Jesus, of course, was resurrected. His body didn't see the corruption that everyone else's in his human history saw. Mm -hmm. So again, this is really similar. I mean, uh, Peter made these same points when he was preaching on the day of Pentecost back in Acts chapter 2 about like David couldn't have been talking about himself because you can go see his tomb. Now, he was there in Jerusalem. He said like, like his tomb is here, basically. Um, but here again, he says this couldn't be talking about David. Um, he saw corruption. Jesus did not. And he points out here in verse 38, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And everyone who believes in him, you can be freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This is going to become a kind of a big conversation later in the New Testament about how the law itself doesn't forgive you from your sins. It just shows you where you sinned, but we need a savior. And so the law shows us our need for Jesus. And forgiveness of sins is the good news here. Now, he gives some good news, and then he's going to actually end with some bad news. Um, you should believe and respond to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But in verse 40, he's going to quote, uh, or verse 41, he's going to quote from Habakkuk, who was prophesying right before the Babylonian captivity. And he says, Habakkuk was talking about the Babylonians, the Chaldeans coming in. Like, I'm doing a work in your day that you wouldn't believe even I told you. He says, there's a greater threat. There's a greater judgment coming if you do not accept Jesus. Um, if you don't believe in him, look out. Because uh, this, uh, this is a bad thing. Yeah. The, the torment of hell and everything that goes with not obeying Jesus is scary. Um, and so this is all related to um, to this passage in Habakkuk, with that, which I think is really cool, Paul using it there, language that they would have known. Um, but we'll pick up in verse 42 in just a second. Um, but it, it's really helpful to look at this sermon as a whole um, and to see the point that Paul is trying to make, taking Old Testament passages 
relating them to Jesus and moving them toward the conclusion that you need to obey Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, this is a passage, or sorry, a sermon, like Stephen said, that Paul likely used in many other places, many different synagogues, many different cities. And so I think it benefits us to look at these lessons as well. And um, so we can uh, we can pick up in verse 42. But do you, do you have anything else, Stephen? All right, let's, uh, let's do that. Let's read 42 through the end of the chapter, verse 52. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet and protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So it's going to be interesting. We're going to see essentially three responses to this sermon that uh, Paul has preached in the synagogue. In verse 42, some people beg that they want to hear these things next week. Hey, we want to come back the next Sabbath day and hear these things again. Tell us more about this. Yeah. Jesus. Paul picks up a regular preaching gig, it looks like. <laughs> well, not for too long. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, in verse 43, we see some people even more excited. They're like, they're not waiting for next Sabbath. Uh, they... Um, followed Paul and Barnabas immediately after the synagogue meeting and they speak, they speak with them and urge them to continue in the grace of God. I think the implication is these people are converted, baptized that day. Um, they're convinced by what they've spoken. So kind of the middle of the road is like, hey, let's, let's, let's hear you again next week. Some people are like, I want to follow him today. And then so when the next Sabbath comes, the third reaction is this reaction of jealousy. Uh, when they, the, the word spreads about the crazy sermon that Paul preached in the synagogue. And so like the whole city comes out to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they're filled with jealousy. They contradict Paul. They revile him. And so Paul and Barnabas are like, well, Jews, you've had your chance. And uh, we are going to turn from here to the Gentiles. Uh, we gave it to you guys first, but you've judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Essentially by opposing them, reviling them. And so they, they quote from Isaiah 49 here. This is kind of a fascinating rabbit trail. We won't do this today, but um, this was one of the servant songs in the book of Isaiah that was about the work of Jesus and about him being a light to the Gentiles. But they apply that passage to themselves here and say, we're taking the light to the Gentiles because the Jews have rejected this opportunity to hear the word 
we're now turning to the Gentiles. And it's also noteworthy that back in Acts 9, when the Lord is talking to Ananias about his plans for Saul, he'll say that about Saul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And we've seen really all three of those things up until this point, uh, which is really cool to see. Um, But the three things that Stephen just described for us are still really three responses that we see to the gospel today, aren't they? Mm -hmm. You have some people who, and I think it's okay about this, they hear it and they're like, I want to think about that some more. I need to keep investigating. I need to keep thinking. And I think that's totally fine. Uh, there are people who just accept it, right? <laughs> they're, they're, maybe their hearts have been prepared for it. They were ready to hear it, and they just jump at it to obey it and listen to it. And then there are some who just outright reject it, um, and some who outright reject it and also try to like tear it down <laughs> along with it. It's, it's more than just a, an initial rejection, but it's trying to tear it out to begin with. Um, so those three responses are still consistent with the gospel today, and uh, we obviously want to be the type of people that are hearing it out, obeying it, and going along with it. That's obviously what the scriptures want for us, mm-hmm. um, what, what the Lord wants for us. Yeah. And it's interesting in verse 48, when they hear about them going out, this is the Gentiles, the God-fearers who were there, uh, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. And it's those who are appointed to eternal life that believe. Uh, God is looking for hearts that love him. It's like the parable of the sower that are good soil, uh, those are the ones who believe, accept the word. And so the word of the Lord is spreading through the whole region. Again, Antioch is kind of a prominent city there. And so the, the word is going out. More people are hearing. But the Jews, again, they, they just don't stop there. Uh, they continue and they include some of the women of high standing, leading men of the city, and they drive them out. So um, Paul and Barnabas are uh, able to stay there for a little bit, but then uh, they shake the dust off their feet and go on to Iconium. And um, that's what Jesus told his disciples to do uh, when they went out. Uh, If you remember back in the Gospel of Mark, when he sends out the 12, he says, if they won't listen to you, shake the dust of your feet off um, as a sign against them. And that's what they do here with Antioch. And they go on to the next city. But the disciples are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We've seen that a couple times already in the book of Acts, is that uh, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And that's, um, even though there's in the midst of persecution, because of course Paul and Barnabas leave, but I'm sure the Jews are still after the Christians, but they continue to be filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So watch for this theme throughout the book of Acts as we go, that there, there will be some who listen, some who uh, want to hear more about it, and then there's some who just want to outright reject it altogether. That that will be a continued theme throughout Acts as well. Uh, Lord willing, next week we'll pick up and Paul will go into Iconium um, and go into the synagogue there and probably deliver the same lesson that we just heard back in chapter 13. And we'll read about his success in, um, in that city and, and another one as well. So uh, if you uh, have any questions, uh, you can feel free to contact us but I'm stepping on Stephen's portion, so go ahead and tell the contact information. <laughs> oh, no, it's all good. Yeah, if you're enjoying the uh, things you're hearing on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, review. Um, if you'd like to reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. If you have questions or would like to study more uh, personally, uh, 717-585-0949, capitalcitychristians at gmail.com, or check us out on the web at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.